The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. We have gardening advice, so if you have any questions about what to do in the garden, not that you will probably be doing it today given the way the weather is, but if you're looking ahead to winter and thinking, well, how do I get everything geared up? Or what do I plant now that'll come out in spring? Or when can I trim that hedge? Or what do I do to kill that moss? Or anything along those lines, you can fire in your questions now because we're joined by Brian Burke, who is RTE's Super Garden Judge and a Woody's DIY and gardening expert. So 53106 at a cost of 30 cent if you have questions for Brian. And Brian, the place where I want to start is... If you've put in the effort back in spring or back in summer, you've had the tomatoes, you've had the strawberries, you've minded the lawn. We're now heading into the winter. How do you batten everything down so that it stays till next spring? Well, this is the big challenge this time of the year, Anton. I mean, I suppose the work in the garden right now is all about kind of putting the summer to bed and making that transition into autumn and winter. Now, the tasks involved in some instances are quite simple, quite intuitive. You know, it's as simple as cutting, edging, pruning, shaping, trimming, mulching, tidying up and cleaning, you know. Oh, is that all? Oh, yeah, great. I mean, some of them are quite straightforward. I mean, there's a, there's, there's this fear factor, the level of intimidation about how to prepare the garden for winter. A lot of it is very intuitive, you know. So you can be as elaborate as you want with the with these things. I mean, we... We want to position ourselves with gentle adjustments in the garden to take advantage of the months ahead. And take advantage is key because there's a perception out there that winter is a dead zone in the garden. But it's not necessarily the case. There's a lot to do, you know. I mean, it can start with simple things like rearranging your pots. Like, for example, if you had pots and containers on the patio over the summer with summer flowering bedding plants, perennial plants in them, they can all be changed out now and put in more winter-appropriate plants. Things like cyclamen, heather, formium, um, things that are going to survive over the winter. Oh, and you plant and them now you, and they will stay colourful yeah, through the I winter. Mean, exactly. There's a simple little measure that you can do. Just change out your bedding and put in winter appropriate planting on, on your, on your, in your pots and containers. Something like that. I mean, you can, you can sow fl- wildflower seeds. People don't, don't realise this. If you have light soil, you can sow wildflower seeds now that will survive over the winter and kick in in the, in the springtime. You can collect seeds. Again, depending on the nature of your planting or what sort of garden you have. Can if I ask you a personal plants, question? I have been in a rolling battle for three years with my lawn. It keeps trying to leave me and I keep trying to make it not. Yeah. What's the best policy for the final mow before winter? Do you go short? Do you leave it long? No, keep mowing over the winter. Keep my, this perception, this idea out there that you there's one final cut, you pull down the shutter on the lawn in Correct. November or whatever. Leave it till March. It's a misnomer. It's a misnomer. Cut away over the winter, but cut very, very gently. Just keep it trimmed. It's like cutting the split ends. If you're trying to grow your hair, cut, cutting your split ends, you know, which which we all did when we were youngsters. Loads of text coming in, Edward. While we're talking about cutting things, Hugo wants to know, when's a good time to cut my roses? Well, again, we're coming into that kind of September, October is prime time to start doing stuff like that. Now, roses, roses are a whole universe in and of themselves, you know. So what you you want to achieve with your roses is you're looking for the four Ds, right? Dead, dying, diseased or damaged shoots. You're also looking for crossing shoots. So DDDC, remember that acronym, dead, dying, diseased and damaged shoots and crossing shoots. Any crossing shoots that rub together are more susceptible to cause damage to the bark and therefore ingress of fungi, bacteria, which will cause trouble down the line. So you're looking for an open framework 
remove anything that's crossing, anything like the 4Ds, an, an open centred framework. You want plenty of ventilation, plenty of aeration in there. If you have shrub roses, shrub roses that will have put on a lot of growth during the, during the season, you want to cut back long shoots because they're susceptible to catch the wind over the winter and damage the root system. Also, what we call standard roses, which have sta- standard roses, a rose with clear stem. And it's got a bushy top. Thin that out because similarly, that's going to catch the wind over the winter and it's liable to wind rock, damage the roots and it's going to compromise it down the line. Dead, diseased, damaged. Dying. Dying. And then the sea was crossing. Crossing, yeah. Text saying, I planted snowdrops last year and nothing. Could I have planted them too deep? Uh, possibly. I mean, the rule of thumb with bulbs is about two and a half times the depth of the bulb itself. So if you, if, when you take snow a snowdrop bulb, bulb is only a little fella, isn't it? Yeah, but two and a half times, exactly. So there, the, probably what this person did was apply the logic of a daffodil or a tulip bulb and went down too far. So two and a half times. So a daffodil bulb is in around 50 millimetres, right? So you want to plant that at about 125 mil below ground, okay? That's about five inches, right? This is typical of the problems we see with bulbs because if you have stubborn ground, people are trying to dig and they get to a point and you go, ah, sure, that'll do. I'll pop it in there. Not deep enough or too deep, right? So you, there's a sweet spot two and a half times the depth of the bulb and that's typically the problem. And where do you stand on what I'm told is called lasagna planting? Lasagna planting? Oh, this is permaculture. No, uh, well, this is where you put one layer of bulbs then another layer of bulbs at alternating heights so that you put in your dafts and then you put your snowdrops above them and they all grow out at different times. They all grow out at different times. Yeah, again, um, it's doable as long as you have rich soil, as long as you have moist, free-draining, fertile soil. And again... The layer, the, the topsoil horizon, as we call it, differs substantially from region to region within the country. Some parts of the country have a beautiful two foot layer of topsoil. Other parts of the country have four inches and then subsoil. So if you're lucky enough to live in a part of the country somewhere like Munster, the Golden Vale down in Tip, parts of Westmeath, Meath, Kildare, lovely, lush, fertile parts of the country, plant away, layer up your bulbs. But if like If you're me, in the Burn or Connemara, you're yeah, If you're in the west of Ireland or like me, we're in a pocket of County Leash where the, where the soil isn't brilliant. You know, you have to kind of be a bit more innovative. Text saying, um, I have a question in relation to a Portuguese laurel hedge. Planted in April, was doing well, but a recent dry spell has caused lots of dead leaves. A welcome week of rain now, but is there any recommended fertiliser to feed hedges, particularly Portuguese laurel ones, to help them come back? Yeah, I mean, you just get an all round of what we call a compound fertiliser. So it's going, to, it's going to contain sufficient quantities of the three macro, what we call the macronutrients. And they're N, P and K, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. If you get an all round compound fertiliser with three of those, sufficient amounts of those three ingredients, it'll give any plant that's struggling a lift because it's providing those nutrients. Potassium is going to make it more resilient the nitrogen is is going to bring out the colour and the leaf shape and the phosphorus is going to make it again tougher and more able to withstand the winter the the rigours of a long winter ahead Give me the three things nitrogen, potassium and phosphorus is that right? Uh, Yes N, P and K Remember from the periodic table Anton back in school N, P and K nitrogen, (laughs) phosphorus, potassium There's a lot to remember this morning between the the quadruple D's and the C and now the the N, P and K It's all about the acronyms Uh, Tech saying oh yeah just a a recommendation by Tech saying please leave some uncut areas for insects over the winter. Is that right? Do you you get much insect activity over the winter? Absolutely. I mean, our flying friends are active for a much more elongated length of time than people think. People think it's a summer thing. The first bees come out in February and don't quit until November. So if you leave you know, nectar-rich flowers, that's going to take care of them. So coming into this time of the year, things like sedum, 
things like Echinacea, coneflower, uh, things like Rudbeckia, things like Aster. These are autumn flowering perennials that are really good to feed our flying friends this time of the year. Again, there's a perception out there that once, once July is done and dusted, that's it. You know, there's a lot of autumn flowering perennials that you can do to take care of those guys. There's a lot of people interested in how to kill things rather than how to grow things. Another one asked, how do I get rid of moss? Well, I mean, I assume it's moss on a lawn. It's a curse. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the anecdotal evidence would say that the washing powder detergent, like if it's, if, it's, if it's on the driveway, moss on driveways is the scourge of many people. If it's something that bothers you, I don't mind moss. I think moss has an inherent beauty and it contributes to the ecosystem within, within a garden, right? But some people have a, have a bit of a problem with it. Moss on a driveway can be difficult to move because it's insidious. It gets anchored in there and can be hard to move. Pow- get yourself down to the supermarket, get yourself some p- big box of powdered uh, washing detergent, sprinkle it on it and it should take care of it. Moss in a lawn can be removed by a process called scarifying. Now, scarifying is can be mechanical or it can be manual. You and can, it's, hard it's hard work. work. But if you get the mechanical scarifier, it's a machine that's kind of halfway between a lawnmower and a rotavator. It's got a series of rotating vertical blades. That's going to what we call detach the surface of the lawn. So it's going to remove all that buildup of organic material that provides the perfect conditions for moss to grow. And when do you scarify your lawn? Now, autumn. Coming into autumn is the perfect time. So scarify, rake it all off, overseed and then put down some horticultural sand that's going to help with drainage and it's going to help kind of give the new seed a boost and does it have to be horticultural sand or can you go on the cheap and use builders no don't use builder sand don't use that grey sand that you see on building sites that comes from lying quarries that's going to alter the pH balance of your of your soil you want quartz sand bunker sand so think Shane Lowry not Paddy the Plaster <laughs> <laughs> is a scarifier the type of a yoke I might be able to rent or do I have to go through the capital expenditure of purchasing one? No capital expenditure involved. About 60 quid a day down in your local hire shop. And yeah. then you can and you do the whole job unless you've a massive oh, lawn you can do day, the whole job, yeah. Now you, there's a manual one as well, but again there's a bit more grunt work involved in that. Oh, yeah, so. life is too short for manually life scarifying. Short, yeah. A tech saying um, we got a beautiful 10-year-old fern from a friend which was very healthy in April and May, but it started to die back. It's near a eucalyptus tree. Is the fern lacking water? Oh, the ferns love water. I've 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 three ferns at home, Dixonia, Antarctica, and I'm blue in the face trying to keep water on them, especially given the drought. I mean, I don't know what other parts of the country have been like, but my little pocket again of the Midlands has had very little water for the past two months. Tree ferns love water. They need to be kept moist. If they don't get enough of it, they will start to fail. And also, while we're on tree ferns, make sure they get protected over the winter. Wrap them in horticultural fleece. They hate ice. They hate sub-zero temperatures. They hate kind of being buffeted by wind and rain. Horticultural fleece. You can buy it, really? buy, buy the meter in a hardware and just wrap your tree fern in it. And leave it for the winter and yeah, then pop it off pick later. Pick up the fronds and wrap it and uh, it'll protect it over the winter. Brian, you are a mine of information. That is Brian Burke, Ortiz, Super Garden Judge and Woody's DIY and gardening expert. And we have more than we could possibly get to. So we'll have to have you back, Brian. It was lovely to see you. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.